This is Up Your RPG, helping you up your role-playing game. In this episode, more metagaming. As an adventuring party, it's easy to fall into a pattern of decision-making based on skill numbers rather than our character's personal abilities. How can players move toward traits and away from stats? And how can GMs help that process along? Let's get to it. Hey, thanks for joining us on Up Your RPG. My name's Arthur. As always, I'm here with Michael and Emily from the Under the Library crew. And today we are joined by Scott from the same group of RPG players and podcasters. Scott, thanks for joining us. And Michael, take it away. Yeah, so Emily, in regards to this topic, uh, you're playing character Joe right now. And she's been around for a little bit. And you do like this really nice job of not not looking for the stat that most applies to Joe's action, but to um, making a decision from her perspective. And if you could just talk a little bit about how you do that. Oh, I would love to, Michael. I was planning on talking about a different character, but I'd be happy <laughs> oh. to talk about Joe. <laughs> I'd like yeah. to hear about both characters, actually. Yeah. So this is a surprise character. Who's the surprise character? For my D&D campaign. Oh, cool. Mm. All right. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about both of them. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. When I shared with Michael what I was going to talk about, I just said a character. I and Michael, of course, assumed that it was uh, at least somewhat about him. Of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. So tonight's topic is <laughs> egocentrism in the Keeper. <laughs> um. I'm but gonna hide under the table now. You're probably seeing the trend here. All of my characters always make decisions based on character traits and not numbers. I can't help it. And and I probably shouldn't because that's what's enjoyable for me. But um the character that I was thinking I would talk about is the the druid that I'm playing in my DD 5e is like essentially a happy hippie. And it is to the extent that she annoys her own party, but they tolerate her out of love. So there's no inter-party strife because of this, but I'm just not afraid of taking it a little over the top so that my character is just like, just like the kind of person you shake your head at. And my character also just really likes to talk to people, like find out their stories, share stories, make them happy. Anyway, um, with a charisma minus one, that often would be a problem if I cared about my stats, but I, I'm just playing the character and my GM has been really good about it. Sometimes um, he'll give me an advantage, give me advantage on a roll because of something like something I said to the person that might, that might relate well to them. So he'll just sort of counteract the negative and charisma by taking the actual words that I'm saying and the game, you know, the, the character and using that. And we lost Scott. We did. Oh, uh, well, he really I, didn't like my story. 
I do want to keep going with it, though, because I, I want yeah. to ask you some questions about that. Sure, sure. So uh, when you are playing D&D, you're role-playing, which is perfect. And by the way, I do want to point out um, that that what you just said about the, the DM uh, making up for your um, your low skill score with your role-playing by actually taking your, your role-playing over your skill number. And I, I think that's a that's an amazing point for GMs as a way that they can help to facilitate players so that they don't get penalized. And that's really what my question is. Uh, if you're, as a group, if you're going to do something, do you run into that situation where the group will sort of collectively choose who does a thing based on their ability score? Is that a thing that comes up in your group? Because it certainly has come up a lot in, in groups that I've played in. Um, remind me what it's, oh, min-max. That's a person yeah. who's really, okay. So we do have one min-maxer in the group, but she's very respecting of role play. Mm. And so it isn't really a problem. I mean, there are definitely times when she more so than any of the other players does have a moment where she's like, yeah, I should really do this because of numbers and not because of traits, but not in a way that steamrolls anything else. And because my character likes to talk to people and Emily likes to role play and talk, uh, I end up being the face of the group sometimes, mm. even though it's the opposite of what we should be doing with stats. So, so at least in this group, it's, uh, it's pretty organic. Did your GM um, just drop right into that, or was there sort of a transitional period where it took a little while um, of you sort of being that leader and being that that sort of group leader talking with NPCs and having some failed roles maybe because your stats were low and then the GM adapted, or did they pick up on it relatively quickly? Uh, they picked up on it quickly, but... Also, to be fair, that's a trait that has grown in me through the campaign. We've been playing this campaign for over a year. And so it's something that I've started exaggerating more in the character over time, just because it's fun. Mm -hmm. And so the the DM has sort of adapted along with that. Yeah, that, that's great to hear. Um, and, and I, I want to I go to Michael um, with a question. So Michael and I were sort of going back and forth on, on what we were going to talk about in tonight's show, how we were going to structure this. Um, and uh, Michael, you got a little, uh, I don't want to say touchy, but a little like just a little bit defensive about this maybe happening more than you think in our groups. Um, I, I think especially in under the library, we are very role play heavy, but inevitably when big decisions happen, we'll see people look at their character sheets and try to pick skills to use to perform a certain task because they have a high number with that. And I, I want to hear from you how GMs can, I mean, I think Emily's idea is perfect, but are there other ways, maybe in other systems or in other situations where you can help players not get penalized by really staying in the role and not by stopping and coming out of the role and looking to their character sheet before making a decision. Yeah. And part of that in my mind, cause I was thinking about after we ended off that, 
you know, first I, I told you, I was like, oh, I didn't actually think of it from that perspective, right? That even kind of scanning your your character sheet for trying to fit your best attribute in. And I, well, I think one or two things. One is that you have to establish some trust with the players at the table. And if it's a, a convention table, I think saying this part out loud is important that you're not going to impede the progress or the action because of failed throws. And and I think that that's something that Call of Cthulhu really has has taught me as a keeper is this idea of um, success with consequences, right? That a, that a, and this translates to any system is that somebody can miss a throw, but that doesn't mean they have to completely blunder the action, right? They might be able to pick the lock, but they do it loudly now, or you know they might be able to scale the wall, but in the process, they kick out a bunch of bricks and it makes it more difficult for the person coming behind them or something like that. And so I, I think as, as uh, GMs, we have a real opportunity to establish rapport at the table early on and say, hey, these dice rolls aren't going to dictate the flow of our game or the cadence of our game. They're just going to determine how much consequence there is for the action that you make. And, and certainly if you're in a group, it sounds like, uh, like Emily is right there, that uh, the more you do that, right, the more comfortable the group gets. Because my in my mind, I'm seeing Emily as this kind of really boisterous character who comes to meet an NPC and immediately wants to burst forth in the group and start talking with them, uh, where the, the really the, the dice of the group would dictate that somebody else probably should. But I, you know, mm-hmm. obviously that group has trust in that in that GM that that role isn't going to dictate their progress, and so I think that that's really important. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is always to reward that emphasis, right? And which is another thing that you know, let's just kick it right back to Emily's GM there. Um, that if you're re- rewarding that role playing, you're going to get more of it. And if you're rewarding the dice rolls, then you're going to get more. I mean, it's natural, mm-hmm. right? We we want to succeed, and um, and so we want to pick that best thing because we're still in this genre of game, and we think of it as a game. And that dice roll is having an impact on our success, so we want to naturally pick the best thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I do want to get back to that bit later because I think that's where the the tricky bit comes in with all this. But but before that, I wanted to, to hear from Scott. Um, we are in a D and D campaign together. We've been in for a very long time, and uh, this is something that I notice a lot in our D and D group. Um, and I think that it it partially because is because we are not role play heavy in that group. Um, I think we're trying to get back to it, um, but I think we are we're more goal based and more mechanic based uh, and more combat based um, than we are certainly in, in our Call of Cthulhu group. Um, but I think even more so than than a lot of D and D groups. Um, but I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how that idea of you know you come to a chest and the decision. Of, of who searches the chest is based on, you know, who has the highest investigation score. Uh, you know, how do you see that impacting our D and D group? And do you see a way that we like personally, we can get actually better at that? Sure. Great. Yeah. Great question. So 
Hopefully my system doesn't crash again in the middle of my talking. <laughs> it was totally was smooth. Really, we just moved right on. Really fun. It's all, um, I'm sure. But uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know if I think differently about this than you guys, but I think maybe a different perspective might be that I look at the numbers as placeholders for reality. So if someone has a high score in lock picking or in perception, that's also another way of saying that they're more likely to do that in game or, or in the world. So the numbers become a placeholder. Like, you know, I think on some level, you're looking for some level of verisimilitude in gaming to the real world. And I think the way that we get there is by using this concept of numbers as that representation. So if I have someone, if I have a character who has a really low intelligence, which I have every single time I play, yep. um, hilarious. if I have a character with really low intelligence and I'm like, look, I just want to role play this guy as a, a, a statesman, I shouldn't have picked that as a low number because you know what I mean? Like, like, or maybe he's aspirational to something like that, but there has to be some rational or reason for it. And so I think that it, you know, I look at the numbers as a way to indicate what reality is. I don't know that we role play it as well as we could, but I agree. We're sort of more goal oriented. We're trying to get through these very long multi-year modules. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, there's a time for role play and there's a time to just kick the door down and put the helmet on and see what happens when you put, or put the goggles on from a couple of days ago. Like, yep, that, so for me, just I, I hypothetically to, speaking, hypothetically randomly speaking. put the goggles on. <laughs> like, you know, I sort of look at it as, yeah, when the numbers are there, you play to the numbers. Like Emily, to your point, I always role play my characters, but I pick characters with stats and numbers that reflect the way I like to play. So that's why I always have stupid characters because I like having the character that's out there doing the dumb thing. And I like to move the story forward for better or worse. I think that sometimes we wind up navel gazing and I, that drives me nuts. So mm -hmm. I want a character that's like, fuck it. I'm sorry, language, you know, screw it. I'm just going to put the helmet on or I'm going to kick the door down or I'm going to do whatever because that's what the character is doing. That's it, it fits his numbers. It fits how he was designed to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And using the example of my character, if the character, if she's a little annoying in her, in her manner, that could be the charisma, you know, it doesn't mean that she doesn't talk, there just could be consequences. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it never happens that I roll a charisma roll and just mess it up. But there are times when either when I'm doing something really compelling or perhaps when it's really important to the storyline that the DM steps in and, um, and gives me a way to make it work. So it, yeah. here, here comes the tough question. And I think Scott was getting at this, um, mm -hmm. but I'm looking at it sort of from a big picture sense. Um, let's say, for example, um, let's take one of Scott's dumb characters um, if he's all of my characters, yes, let's take one of Scott's characters. Um, and let's say that the GM, um, takes the approach that Emily's GM takes on, um, on Scott really going after some sort of intelligence based check. And it, Scott does a great job of role-playing it. He's super in character and it makes sense for his character, whatever that might be. Um, uh, and the GM says, okay, take advantage on this because uh, it, 
you know, you did such a great job and your your intelligence score is really low um, and you role played it really well. Does that undercut the structure of the character by falsely elevating um, and thus throwing off the balance of your skill numbers? So oh, if we sort of, if we go full role play on it, are we then undercutting uh, essentially the framework and the structure of the game itself? And that could be in any rule set. Um, if it's Call of Cthulhu, um, if I've got a terrible score at psychology and I'm talking to somebody and I'm having a really great conversation with them and Michael gives me advantage on a roll against them, is that then, again, undercutting the, the framework of the game, but also penalizing another player who's playing a character who might be uh, you know, a, a police officer who interrogates people and has a high psychology score because of that, and it fits the role of their character. I see Michael wants to answer this. Yeah, I, going back to Scott's idea of having some level of verisimilitude, right, is that, to me, the, the numbers are indicators of your chances of succeeding or doing something well. Right. And mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that somebody can't get lucky or have them have a genuine moment between another character that exceeds their charisma score. I think if you're always rolling with advantage, uh, then then right, that might be defeating the purpose of of the stat, because then you're you're kind of exceeding what it's what it's saying about the character. But I think if you're honoring brilliant moments of role playing, you're also honoring that character's opportunity to exceed who they are in a demanding moment and so rolling with advantage to me is somewhat similar i know they have a mechanism in it for cthulhu but it's also similar to just like shoving over to luck are, are you lucky enough to pull this off right um and and so it's saying that like there are just sometimes outside forces that work to people's advantages that we can't explain and there should be room for that to be in a game of fantasy or horror or whatever. Yeah. And that's and, my two cents. No, and, no and I, I agree. Go ahead. Scott. I, oh, go ahead. Art. No, no, no. You first dude. Yeah. Um, so I, Michael, I, I mean, I obviously I, I agree. And I think that, you know, there's a mechanic in, in most games that we play like this that allow for the role player not just the character. And, you know, we talk a lot about this on the show and in other places where you're balancing what I would do versus what my character would do. And you guys know that I'm, I'm one of those people that I hate the line. What's what my character would do. Like I, if, if you're being an asshole, I don't want your character to be the excuse for that. Just own that you're an unpleasant human being, right? Like don't, don't blame it on your character. So I, I think that we're always trying to balance between those two things. And, you know, there are stronger role players in the group. So if I thought that it they were overwhelmingly always getting all of the oxygen in the room just on the strength of their role play, then yeah, that would cross over into unfair. So I think Michael, to your point, there's a balance there, and that that's where the GM, like a good GM versus a bad GM, is so important because if you've got someone who's like really impressed with one of the role players and they're giving them all the, the oxygen, all the light, all the joy in the game. Yeah. That stinks because that's giving all of the weight to the role play and none of it to the numbers, to the characters, to the story. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I was just going to say that I, I agree, Michael, as well. Um, and, and I think an, a, an example of that, that's sort of the opposite of the example that you gave, is a real-life example uh, that happened right as we were starting this show, that I've been organizing Zoom video and um, these streams for over a year now. I do it at least once a week, now twice a week. And I apparently failed my intelligence role when setting up this... <laughs> In this particular say, session, you're roll, you're and, two. exactly, and I screwed it up. So you know, no matter how good someone is, I mean, my stat for setting up, uh, you know, OBS should be really high. But even given that high stat, I'm eventually going to screw it up. Uh, so I, I think that 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 mentality applies to the game as well, um, and it can go both ways. That someone with an with an incredible stat in something is inevitably inevitably going to critically fail at some point. Uh, For and, example, when my computer crashed, it rolled a one. Right, exactly. Right in the <laughs> middle of the right in the middle of this broadcast. Um, right in the it, middle of the. <laughs> and I think that I just want to highlight uh, Scott something that you said earlier, and I I think that that's the big takeaway for me in this is uh, there is a line between letting your uh, your skills and your your stats determine your role play versus the other way around versus making a decision by looking at your sheet um, I think that the important takeaway here is to know your character enough to know that you know hey I, I've got this lock picking skill and then make a story around it you know I was I was a thief in my teens or you know whatever whatever the case may be uh, so that's why I'm going to step forward and try to pick this lock um, rather than looking at your character sheet and going, oh, hey, I got a good lock pick skill. Let, let me do it. Um, I think that takes us out of the game, whereas the former puts us deeper into the game. And if I could, I, I don't normally do. take the last word, but I, I might tonight. Go uh, for because, it. Scott, I, I want to highlight something else that you said, which was for all of the GMs and keepers out there is that we do tend to, or or it can happen that you get enamored with some players role-playing and, and you're right, right? Emphasis goes to that player. And I think sometimes even table emphasis goes to that player. Um, but that I, I like to think about role-playing as a practice, right? Like I love that we have a weekly date where we get to try new things, right? We're, we're doing this, going to it, and there should be some space to experiment and try different things and portray your character in a in a different perspective. And that it's important for GMs and keepers to hold the space for that to happen by not overemphasizing one player or giving them uh, too many opportunities. And so I, I thought that that was just kind of a really nice moment because we do, as a group, here put a lot of emphasis on the narrative um and uh, but taking a moment to say that thanks scott awesome son any 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 anybody got a closing sentence or y'all want to end there yeah I, I think you just wrapped it up perfectly all right well then uh, that's gonna put a wrap oh wait did you say something i agreed with art oh well that's gonna put a wrap on this <laughs> week's session of up your rpg thanks for joining us You can always join us at upyourrpg.com. Hopefully we've contributed to your game. Now go find a table. Mm -hmm.